This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Eaton Vance High Yield ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find smart bond selection from a specialized team with deep fixed income expertise. Get to know what's inside EVHY, the symbol of high yield done right, at eatonvance.com slash symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Rogers News. Welcome to The Exchange, a conversation with people of interest to business and financial professionals around the world. I'm George Hay, Associate Editor of Reuters Breaking Views, the financial commentary arm of Reuters News. Last week, I spoke with Hiro Mizuno, former Chief Investment Officer of Japan's $1.6 trillion government pension investment fund, and now board member of both Tesla and Danone. We conducted the chat as part of Ethical Finance 2021, a summit held by the Global Ethical Finance Initiative. The key topic of discussion was how ESG has developed since Hero's days as an early champion of sustainable investing at GPIF. Hero, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you, George. And... uh... It's my real pleasure to uh, to speak at this event, and I, I, my thanks goes to uh, Global Escrow Finance Initiative. So thank you for having me. Excellent. Well, maybe we could start by referencing your time at the GPIF. Uh, while you were there, you warned that asset managers that took GPIF business, um, they they would have to receive they would receive smaller checks if they didn't exhibit good governance, and that was all the way back in 2017. Do you think fund managers do a lot better on ESG invest uh, issues in 2021? Well, sure, of course they uh, they do it better. Uh, as the uh, you know the 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 time uh, you uh, mentioned, uh, we are still fighting uh, over the relevance of ESG factors. Uh, mm-hmm. as an investment or investment of financial information. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is also the battle uh, if the, uh, the ESG is just uh, representing uh, the, uh, the my value or just a, it's a my value statement rather yeah. than financial analysis or decision making uh, information. So uh, compared to that time, uh, now it, I think it's become almost politically incorrect to argue against the ESG. So uh, it's now very hard to uh, come across somebody in our industry who really says like, you know, I don't care about ESG, right? So uh, uh, from that, the other perspective, obviously uh, there is a big uh, progress, progress uh, made, uh, you know, between the time uh, I started and now. Uh, when I first, uh, you know, the, uh, the came to GPF asset managers asking, uh, what do you think is uh, your responsibility as the uh, the fund managers? And uh, you know, the most common reaction uh, or response uh, to me at that time was, "Oh, Mr. Mizuno, our role is for active manager deliver you alpha, and yeah. a passive manager tracking the index with lowest tracking error." and possibly at the lowest cost. And then uh, my journey started by questioning them like, okay, so 
who's actually feeling responsible about their ownership? So uh, GPF is in the, you know, the, uh, the investment chain called themselves and also called by others uh, the biggest asset owner in the world. But the way we manage the fund is basically we outsource all the other funds to external asset managers, right? And uh, those asset managers say, oh, we are just the agent and uh, we do what I just described uh, for the benefit of GPIF. And then my question was, okay, who is exercising ownership? Who is you know, trying to be responsible as an owner? Because ownership should come with the responsibility, right? That's obvious in any uh, part of the, our society. So that's the, exactly what I start, how I started. And uh, throughout that discussion, uh, we reached the point saying like, okay, uh, if the asset manager doesn't agree that the importance of the long-termism and being represented in ESG, you know, the factors, uh, they, if they don't take it as a major part of their, uh, you know, the asset management practice, uh, you know, the for GPIF, we yeah. should question that whether you have aligned interest with us. Yeah. And then we step on to like, you know, the basically, even if you deliver the same extra return, in other words, alpha, or even if you, you know, the track the index perfectly, if you don't uh, step up and play the role as the uh, sort of like a asset owner, because mm -hmm. we can trust them with the, all the voting powers and et cetera. So then we will just revise our contract with you. So the, to, just to answer your question a bit a long way, is that just a reflection of, you know, the thinking about uh, through the other uh, system we use, the uh, investment chain, where the responsibility, you know, the uh, resides and uh, in the principal agent uh, relationship, you know, which role and which responsibility they should, uh, they should, they should be held accountable. So that, that's what it was, yeah. And yeah. Uh, I think that part. I, I, I suppose just in terms of, I mean, the, the, you, met, you raised the important part about asset owners. Do you think enough, um, different asset owners are, are taking the path that you did at GPIF. Do you, do you see that happening to your satisfaction? Yeah, well, I think the others, you know, the most of the uh, sizable and uh, asset owners, they usually manage their portfolio mostly themselves. And uh, so that kind of agency issue of the sort of what I call the vacuum of responsibility or no existence of ownership, sense of ownership right. does exist much less. And uh, you can, you know, you can observe that the, a lot of like a big asset owners now becoming more and more vocal, more and more active, you know, what they are expecting from their portfolio companies, not only, you know, the financial return or dividend, but also they expect the corporate uh, portfolios, uh, you know, the companies to perform uh, or deliver, you know, the, uh, to uh, serve the, uh, the much higher level purpose of the uh, the fund managers or asset asset owners so in those groups it becomes it's easier to observe it is also it's easier to address but in the um, gpif the other uh, case and also the uh, you know majority number less sizable less resource asset owner who has to depend on the uh, asset manager as an agent I think the, uh, the the situation remains very difficult to address. So I think the uh, GPF trying to be a pioneer, trying to address that is agency problem. Right. And um, I mean, one, well, the biggest asset manager, BlackRock, we saw them voting with 
uh, Exxon's activists last week. Um, it was quite a big move. Um, and that that kind of and they, they've clearly kind of set out their stall as wanting to take environmental issues in particular seriously. Um, but recently, we, recently we also saw 15 U.S. state treasurers saying they wouldn't be handing out business to come uh, asset managers that don't um, that they just kind of don't do enough financing for existing fossil fuel players. So there's a kind of tension there. Um, do you do you um, I mean, and it's it's a kind of something happening in America as well. Do, do you do you worry that America as a capital market is still a bit behind the curve compared to um, Europe or on, on ESG issues? Well, I think the uh, it's not um, like a black or white uh, type of the um, the answer. Uh, I can give to your question, but the, uh, the uh, just take Japan as an example. You know, European thing. Japan is also behind the curve in terms of like uh, you know the environmental issue, given right. G- uh, Japan's dependence on a coal uh, right. for their, you know the energy energy mix. Uh, the one thing I just wanted to uh, emphasize here is. You know, when we talk about the ESG and the performance or like ethics or morale or the value in the financial decisions, uh, the most common, uh, you know, sort of like a defense, uh, the conventional minded investor or financial professional uses as a counter argument of fiduciary duty. Mm. And uh, I always say like a fiduciary duty, if you interpret that in a more common language, that means you have to loyal to your customers, right? Yeah. So the, I can understand that the, uh, the in some states in America where like a fossil fuel is a major industry, they will say like, you know, the, uh, the, if the, uh, the asset manager, I give you money and the, 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 the manager we give money to basically, yeah. you know, voting against those company they feel that's against <clears throat> they don't have a loyalty to their customer that's understandable yeah right so uh the one thing is like uh, first of all uh i always think that like, they really need to it, rather than just uh, using fiduciary duty as an easy defense or easy like uh, you know the uh, uh you know the easy line of defense they should just uh, talk to or face the other uh, what their uh the beneficiaries what their customers and then uh, now I think it's becoming more and more global uh, agenda that the, uh, the if we fail to address climate change, we are going to have the, uh, the you know, massive negative impact on the portfolio, whatever yeah. you have. Right. So uh, yeah. so I think yeah, BlackLock, the uh, recent change reversal on their stance on those like, a, you know, the uh, the proxy voting probably reflecting majority of their clients base is now, you know, thinking if the asset manager continue to act uh, in the way they previously acted, it's probably not really supporting their future sustainability or future, you know, the viability of their money, of their portfolio fund, whatever you call it. So uh, I think uh, that that's actually what's happening. So the more customer, the more society, societal consensus about those issues, you know, the, uh, the asset manager Again, they are agent. So uh, sometimes they try to sound like they are a principal, but it actually they are agent. So uh, right. if they fail to reflect what the principal is hoping for, that's really against the fiduciary duty, right? So uh, I think the right. uh, in Europe, what I observe is even compared to Japan, there's much 
more solid consensus among the community, yeah. those issues must be addressed by the government, also by the businesses. And right. when they expect the business to address those issues, they obviously expect the investor to you know, accelerate it rather than the, you know, stopping it, right? Yeah. So uh, I think in the US, there's, there are still much you know, less sort of social consensus on the or com uh, uh, community level consensus on that issue. Yeah. So uh, we just cannot judge the, uh, the by how the particular industry you know, player acts, because at the end of the day, you know, that these climate change, well, this is again what I really advocated when I was a GPL CIO. You know, whatever I do as a CIO, tilting the portfolio, changing the manager, at the end of the day, you know, the long-term performance of the fund is yeah. much more, you know, the vulnerable to the global climate change. Absolutely. And yeah, that's very, that's, very, that's very interesting. I mean, it's, but it's a different, it's a difficult one for the likes of BlackRock to a balance to strike between the their stakeholders who want them to push more on ESG issues and the the, the the state treasurers I was talking about. It's a it's a difficult balance one. But uh, um, just I mean, this is a kind of even wider question. But um, but it re it uh, refers to the fact that you sit on um, this thing at Denon called the Mission Committee, which is a really interesting um, and kind of way to kind of legally enshrine environmental and social considerations into their obje objectives on top of shareholder value. But that's really kind of the question. Like, um, how do you combine? How do you combine those? two things, the imperatives to generate economic value and kind of um, observe economic, uh, environmental and social considerations. Um, and would you say that shareholder value and ethical considerations are now of equal importance? Because they certainly didn't used to be. Um, yeah, well, I think that's probably the, uh, the my ultimate message to the audience today is basically like, uh, you know, uh, most of us uh, used to believe that uh, you know the ethical, uh, being ethical and being profitable as a business are sort of mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. So the, when I <clears throat> started the advocating the ESG consideration, another most common pushback saying like, "Oh, what do you? How do you explain about the trade-off?" Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. and my I, my reaction was. First of all, there is no evidence those are trade, you know, there are traders, you know, trade-off relationship between those two. But we are kind of like a kind of like a prejudiced, you know, mm -hmm. the uh, uh, those are you know the mutually exclusive or a trade-off relationship. So I think that's something that people start questioning. And uh, the more you know, we got deeper into the ESG analysis, the ESG, you know, the uh, uh, research. It's becoming also uh, very evident, uh, you know, the uh, ESG, uh, you know, the consideration is actually improved the financial return. So five years ago, obviously, when I started, even academic research had a showing very mixed result. Right. Some right. some of the research showed ESG is actually negative attribute, and the, the other says positive attribute. Now, right. if you keep an eye on the, all those researches done by academics and also the uh, the financial you know research company, it's becoming a more and more clear those ESG factors are positive consideration to the financial performance for long term, right? So, talking about Danone, Danone went extreme by changing the uh, the article of incorporation and uh, utilizing the uh, the U, uh, French new legislation to. 
create a company who serves multi-stakeholders, uh, not only shareholders. So yeah. the way in the past and outside of Danone, the way we I try to persuade the investors or shareholders to look after the ESG issues is if the company failed to address those or address those ESG issues, long-term financial value of that investment would, you know, will be uh, damaged. Mm -hmm. That's why, yeah. you know, talking about and the, the making sure corporate executive CEO looks, you know, takes care of those ESG factors are beneficial to, you know, beneficial for long-term investor. That's how we kind of like a explain and persuaded the shareholders act on ESG. Mm -hmm. And Danone went even further saying like, hey, our company is set up to serve multi-stakeholders, right? So uh, first one, kind of trying to just, uh, you know, they make the case through the other uh, shareholders value argument. <clears throat> the Danone's case is basically like, a, this is how our company is set up, right? Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, we need to achieve both, right? Because the, if the CEO continue to fail to deliver the performance, in the, I mean, I'm not talking about short term, but the, the reasonable time frame. Mm. Well, it's, it's you know, it's understandable shareholder lost the face in that particular management. Yeah. But at the same time, like you know, the uh, if let me put that this way, the reason why I really like the idea of Danone's like a new corporate, you know, the uh, enterprise mission. Or the other activism by the long-term asset owner is, you know, ESG is something most of the CIO is not naturally incentivized to commit to. Because the climate change, in many cases, if they really wanted to address the climate change, they may hit the, their bottom line negatively in a short term because they need to make additional investment that they need to get rid of some like a cash flow positive operation like a coal and those kind of things right yeah. and the exxon is actually facing that situation exactly the telling them not to expand the uh, the uh, the cash generative business right uh yeah. you know the cash cows right Absolutely. so so that one is like a you know ceo is not naturally incentivized look at the agenda diversity Everybody understand now the importance of diversity on the board or in a management team, but having adding the one or two the female board member probably wouldn't improve the performance of the company for the next six months or like you know that one year, right? Mm -hmm. So that's an, again, is CEO is not financially or naturally incentivized to address those issues. So that's why where that the governance should kick in because. Yeah. Corporate governance should be responsible for something which the CEO is not naturally incentivized. Right, right. And particularly, you know, the keeping the uh, the eyes on long-term agenda because the other, uh, you know, like most of the ESG agenda, you know, for goes beyond uh, incumbent tenure, right? Exactly. So uh, exactly. I think that's the way, that's why I I see the other uh, sort of the balances. But I mean, and that, that longer-term governance issue is completely critical but um how do you kind of combine what do you do when um you get a situation it's not dissimilar to what i mean denon is a specific situation but there was you you had some kind of hedge funds who were more focused on the short-term performance um and uh the incumbent uh ceo manuel faber uh was seen as a kind of real champion of, of ESG issues. Um, so there's a quite difficult balance to, to strike there because 
both both have a kind of valid argument i would say but like how do you strike that balance because it was quite difficult to do yeah well i just uh you know uh refrain from expressing my opinion on that particular like uh you know the incident because they i serve on the board of the uh, you know the uh, tesla mission, uh sorry danon's mission committee and i have my personal opinion on the emmanuel's performance and uh and a respect for him etc but the way i saw that was you know in the capital market we just cannot deny the existence and a sometime benefit of having short-term or short-term investors, mm-hmm. even traders, right? Yeah. Now, these days we now have the, uh, the machine, you know, the uh, trading at the nanosecond cycle, right? And uh, as the other major, you know, the participant or participant of the capital market, I don't deny their roles and also sometimes their benefit to the, uh, the whole capital market. But on the other hand, sometimes they goes too far. And that's sort of a short term, short termism, like just a kind of a dictate the way the company is operating. And uh, that's where I think the governance should kick in trying to manage it. And also I see the role of long term, real long term asset owners. Like uh, that's the the, the behind the the, uh, GPF decision to uh, suspend the stock lending because uh, we are the biggest and a literally long-term investor with the 100 years investment time horizon. And uh, at the peak, like, you know, like a 60, 70% of our stock was lent to somebody who probably using to put the short-term pressure on a company. Mm. So I think that, you know, it doesn't doesn't make much sense because of the, on one hand, we are just trying to promote the long-termism and the focus on the long-term issues. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, we actually don't have the ownership the most of the time, right? So that's quite a good point. I mean, the, the, I mean obviously, you mentioned you, you sit on the board of Tesla and, um, and the Tesla boss, Elon Musk, has also been critical of short sellers and so that's an area of common ground. Um, but and, and I, well, I, I, I completely get your point. The short, short seller is maybe a little bit different from the reason I was against short seller because the, uh, I, I was I was, I was, was the owner of the Tesla, uh, as institutional owner of the Tesla. So they have a, a bit different perspective. But. But fair enough. But, but I suppose the wider point is, can, can short selling be kind of ethical um, if it unearths, you know, it can, you know, um, unearth a fraudulent company, for example, and kind of make it, and you know, it can do a good in that way, perhaps. Um, and but did you do you think that doesn't necessarily outweigh the wider problem of too much short short termism? Well, let me t- let me you know respond to your question a bit the sort of like different ways. First, I think like uh, what is important for GPIF was whether our short, you know, the uh, stock lending practice was consistent with our other, you know, the uh, like a stewardship uh, principle and etc. So uh, it's nothing to do with whether they are ethical or not, right? So that's one thing I just want to make it very clear. And uh, the other things which bothers me was like uh, there is basically no transparency in that pro- pr- uh, practice. You know, the uh, most of the time I couldn't even tell whether GPL stock today exists. <laughs> Who's holding that? It was you know it was not transparent. Right, so right. those kind of things that made the real uh, reason why you know we you know at least the conclusion we probably need to suspend it to see what how it develops. But I mean, show seller can be 
ethical or whatever, because uh, to be honest, most of those like a uh, show sellers, they're holding time frames too short to reflect whether you know the ethical behavior or non-ethical behavior. Right. They are just right. trying to make a financial investment, which is fine. And uh, to your point of, and also I received that question uh, a lot when we you know uh, announced our decision was, you know, show seller is effective to penalize the company who is not doing right things. Mm-hmm. And uh, my argument is maybe, but that they will be penalized even without the show seller anyway. Because if you say like if the company uh, involved in a fraud runs like you know the business practice, you know the, uh, the we don't need a show seller to penalize them because that company's stock will penalize anyway, yeah. right? Okay. So uh, okay, uh, so I, <clears throat> those kind of things is that there's not. I think it's probably not even appropriate to, uh, to discuss the, uh, you know, ethical behavior with that kind of short period of like a, the holding time. But the longer your investment horizon or holding period becomes, the more relevant to discuss those kind of things. Mm. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, just in terms of um, like sustainable um, investments and investors making those decisions, do you think investors have enough data and understanding of what it what it what is a sustainable investment and what isn't in order to kind of make those decisions so in in the european union we've got this taxonomy thing which um it aims to kind of do that for you um and kind of say this is green this is not um what's your view do you do you think there is enough clarity out there at the moment well i think the uh <clears throat> Four or five years ago, when I received that pushback uh, from my own team or asset manager or whoever saying like, oh, you know, Mr. Mizuno, there's a risk of greenwashing, risk of like ESG washing, <laughs> etc. I usually try to push them back saying like, hey, come on. First of all, you need to agree those are important. And then you worry about washing, right? right because... Right, right. Interestingly, most of the, you know, the usually the people who use the uh, greenwashing or ESG washing or lack of information as a counter argument not to integrate ESGs are not the believer of ESG to begin with. So I, I used to say like, you are using that as an excuse not to do that. But the now, as I said, that battle was over. Everybody says ESG is irrelevant, ESG is important, ESG is critical. And then now they are saying, okay, we are ready to do that, but how can we do that? And mm. then I think, yeah, this is the, uh, the debate on the lack of information, lack of standardization has its merit. So uh, I think now we pr- probably need to focus more uh, on you know, having more standardized data set, more compre- comprehensive data, and also creating a standardized reporting framework or like ESG matrix uh, and uh, because now I think the uh, people not arguing whether they should use it. And uh, now they are saying like, hey, we need something which we can rely on. So uh, I think that now becomes more relevant. And uh, the one thing I'm trying to intervene as a, in my special role as a special UN special envoy is particularly, uh, you know, the about climate change. Hmm. I believe in a free economy, actually. I don't really like regulator, <laughs> just believe or not. So. Uh, I think in many cases, free market usually come up with a better solution than regulator in many, many cases. 
Right. And at this time, I'm calling for regulatory intervention in the ESG matrix and the disclosure standard because we just don't have a time to wait for the market to work out. Right. Right, right. Right. So I think when it comes to the, you know, I mean, people talk about ESG matrix, but I'm more specifically concerned about and also uh, uh, crying for uh, the uh, the government of regulatory intervention at the uh, the integrated and also higher level, like a G20, COP26 level, to right. really agree on a standard, you know, standard for those disclosure and investment matrix, because we just don't have. Uh, to for to wait for the market to sort it out, which okay. I think will sort it out someday. Do, do, do you think there's a, a chance that we'll get something along the lines of what you want um, at COP26, you know, later this year? Do you think, do you see the, do you see good signs that something will happen there? Well, I mean, we are focusing on, I'm working together with Mark Carney and uh, <clears throat> I advise the Japanese government to uh, continue to be a champion of the TCFD disclosure. Uh, so uh, Japan now, I mean, uh, I'm very happy to see like Japan has the most number of the uh, TCFD uh, recommendation uh, supporters. So uh, I think the first step is, and also Japan is now uh, finalizing then the revised uh, corporate governance code, and uh, which is going to have the uh, sort of comply or explain requirement on the TCFD disclosure. So uh, I think that my focus so far uh, is uh, until the uh, the COP26 together with Mark Carney is making TCFD is a is sort of quasi uh, mandatory climate you know disclosure uh, you know framework, and uh, I am still hopeful that we get we'll get there. Uh, but the uh, the climate is something we really need to get that as quickly as possible, and uh, and it's probably now. A lot of people understand this is not just a uh, ethical or like a, you know the choice, uh, moral choice. I mean, uh, people started seeing the actual, the uh, the physical impact on their portfolio. So, uh, so again, uh, a lot of cases like uh, you know the what people think as a, is a sort of like a, a value statement. Uh, once the uh, society created their consensus on that particular value or particular uh, items. That will become the financially you know, the relevant information, and then uh, that the, the you know the time difference getting shorter and shorter as the people have the general agreement on ESG, uh, you know the uh, ESG integration. So, uh, but the climate has to be the first one. Okay. Well, listen. I think we're going to leave it there. So many thanks, Hiro. That was really interesting. Thank you. That's our show for this week. I would like to thank my guest Hiro Mizuno and our producer Freddie Joyner in New York. And our final thanks go to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Subscribe to The Exchange and our sister podcast Views Room on SoundCloud, Spotify or wherever you get your podcast fix. Check us out every day on breakingviews.com and don't forget to tune in next week for another edition. This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Parametric Equity Premium Income ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find institutional expertise from a specialized team with deep derivatives experience. Get to know what's inside PAPI, the symbol of alternative income, at eatonvance.com symbols. 
Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC.